From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The pandemic may be having an effect on the skin of some people because of constant mask wearing and hand washing. Here to talk with me about what to do is Dr. Ramsey Farah. He's the Division Chief of Dermatology at Upstate. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Farah, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Well, first, I'd like to ask you about the types of skin conditions you've seen that are related to prolonged contact with personal protective equipment. Sure. So um, among the most common um, skin conditions uh, would be rashes. And uh, those rashes are usually uh, either de novo rashes, meaning kind of new onset skin problems from the uh, personal protective equipment, or uh, exacerbation of already existing skin problems that people may have. So, for example, as far as the face is concerned, uh, you may have heard the um, expression, the so-called mask knee, uh, and that refers to just uh, facial rashes, which could be acne, uh, it could be new onset acne, or it could be exacerbation of old acne, uh, rosacea, which is a somewhat related uh, condition. Uh, it could also be uh, exacerbation of previous rashes like seborrheic dermatitis or even atopic dermatitis, which can occur on the face. Or it could be the new onset of a rash uh, like an allergic contact dermatitis or an allergy to some of the personal protective equipment. And the same principle uh, applies to the hands. Uh, you can have exacerbation of pre-existing conditions uh, like uh, atopic dermatitis or other hand rashes if you've had psoriasis on your hands, for example. Or it could be the onset of a new problem like an allergy to the gloves or the sanitizers or uh, skin irritation from overzealous hand washing or sanitizer use. So it sounds like you really have to figure out what's going on before you can do anything to either treat it or try to prevent it. Uh, yes, that's true. Um, and so, you know, at one point, if you try reasonable measures, which, you know, we can talk about in terms of hand washing or mask wearing, if those reasonable measures don't work, then it's probably time to see uh, your dermatologist, or at least start off by uh, talking to your primary care doctor. And then if they need some help in um, distinguishing what's going on, then they can send you to your dermatologist. But yes, it, it, it actually can be complicated because there could be a number of things at play. So reasonable measures. What I mean, what would you advise someone to try to prevent this mask knee, if, if you have to wear a mask for a long period of time, is there something you can do beforehand that will reduce the chance of irritation? Sure. Um, so we'll go through them. Um, and again, now we're talking about masks, not necessarily hand washing techniques. But uh, so number one, um, you can wash and moisturize your face. So when you wash your face to clean it, you want to use a fragrance-free soap, and uh, then you should thereafter moisturize it to kind of uh, protect the skin, give it sort of a moisturizing barrier, and also 
um, uh, replace some of the uh, fats, the normal fats or lipids that can be lost with, with washing. And so after you wash your face, we would recommend you use moisturizers that have either ceramides in them, uh, which are kind of like natural oils, or hyaluronic acid, uh, which is also a, a moisturizing agent, or dimethicone, which is a protective agent. So number one, basically wash and moisturize it. Number two, use a lip balm because the lips are also subject to the same environmental factors under a mask that could uh, exacerbate skin problems. So use a good uh, lip balm. If uh, you wear makeup, it's probably a good idea to maybe skip using the makeup uh, because the makeups, when they're even occluded with a mask, may uh, contribute to clogging of the skin pores. And they may contribute to conditions like acne or other kinds of irritations. So if it's possible to skip the makeup, really, because you also have a mask that you're wearing, I would skip the makeup. Um, I would also avoid using harsh products for the first time. So now is perhaps not the time to introduce um, necessarily a new skincare regimen. And there are certain products that can be irritating in the context of a warm kind of occlusive environment of the wrap mask. And so I wouldn't use uh, any peeling agents or uh, retinoids, which are uh, kind of prescription type uh, medications that can also help exfoliate your skin. So you wanna try and avoid harsh products, so to speak, for the first time. Unless you have to, I probably, in a similar way, number five, you could say, I would not use uh, products that could potentially be harsh for your face. So for example, uh, for men, uh, if you don't have to wear an aftershave, probably don't wear it because those have a lot of alcohols in them and they can be uh, exacerbating, they can, they, they can uh, irritate. Yeah. So number six, let's make sure that our masks fit properly because if they don't fit properly, that can also uh, contribute to the so-called mask knee or skin irritations. So basically you want something that feels snug. You don't want it to be too loose, but you don't want it to be too tight either. So a good fitting mask. Uh, and sometimes you can get masks that have ear loops that can be adjusted so you can adjust the tightness. Those are pretty good. And uh, to get a snug fit across your nose, some masks have sort of um, like a little metal uh, insert in them that you can mold to your nose. Again, those would help in terms of ensuring a good fit. And you certainly want to clean your mask. Uh, the recommendation is that the cleaning be done after uh, each use. Um, so a good fit is important. Um, I think we're maybe on number seven or so. I've, I've lost track, but it's it's good if you can take a break from the mask. So for example, for healthcare workers, we have to use them all the time. But if you can take a 15 minute break, maybe every four hours or so, I think that would be helpful. And uh, obviously you have to do that in a safe environment. Uh, maybe you can go outside, you can go to your car, or you can find a room that really no one else goes in. So taking a break is an important. Uh, I would just make a comment that when you wash your mask, you want to use hot water. Uh, you can either machine or hand wash it. 
and you want to use fragrance-free or hypoallergenic uh, soaps or detergents. And obviously, just make sure that you're able to wash the mask when, when you buy the mask. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with dermatologist Dr. Ramsey Farah. He's the Division Chief of Dermatology at Upstate, and we've been talking about um, the impact of the pandemic on our skin. But I also want to ask you about hand washing um, advice, because we're washing our hands probably more than we ever have in the past. What advice do you have to reduce the dryness? The most important um intervention can be to moisturize. I mean, you know, there's a fine line between infection control and the need to wash and use hand sanitizers, and then the resulting uh, irritations or dryness and cracking and fissuring and so forth that can result from that. So I would say as a general rule, I would favor hand washing over using the hand sanitizers. But you want to make sure that you're washing correctly, which means you need to wash with sort of warm water, at the very least, warm to hot. And you need to be using a soap and, and you know, washing with your hands and manipulating your hands with the soap for no less than 20 seconds. So we want to make sure if we're not going to use hand sanitizers and we're going to favor hand washing that we do it properly or infection control issues. So after you wash, again, for at least 20 seconds, uh, it's best to pad dry. You don't want to rub dry because, again, um, over the course of the day with the number of hand washings you would have to do, that rubbing causes a lot of friction and it can cause skin injury. So you want to pad dry. And then immediately thereafter, you want to use a moisturizer. And uh, the same kinds of ingredients that I mentioned for the face would apply and be helpful for the hands. That is to say, a, a moisturizer with uh, hyaluronic acid or ceramides or even dimethicone. Um, now, it's sometimes difficult to come across these moisturizers if you're in the hospital or another work setting. Um, I would recommend that if you do find such a moisturizer, you put it in a small kind of pocket-sized uh, container that you can carry with you wherever you go. Uh, similarly, you know, we don't want to ignore um, the issue of hand sanitizing. Uh, but, what, you know, the hand sanitizers obviously can be very harsh. Uh, and one of the very common ingredients that can cause the, the problems on the skin uh, is if they're alcohol-based. And often what happens is when we put the hand sanitizer on, um, it, it sometimes may sort of collect in the web spaces of the hands. So interestingly, if you wind up having a rash and it starts off in the web spaces, that's highly indicative that it's because of the hand sanitizer. You know, you're putting so much on you know, for obvious reasons, but it's collecting in those web spaces and it's sitting there and then it's causing an allergy. So uh, if you're to use a hand sanitizer, try and find uh, hand sanitizers that don't have uh, alcohol in them or less of an alcohol content. Apply the hand sanitizer thoroughly, but then make sure it sort of dries into your skin and be particularly mindful of the web spaces that there's not sort of a wet dollop there that remains. Uh, 
And I would say after the hand sanitizer uh, is absorbed, and they absorb rather quickly, then you can use the moisturizer thereafter, just like as if you were washing your hands. Um, you know, none of these are perfect solutions, but I, I think they're, uh, they're pretty good and they can go a long way in terms of the sustainability of these hand washing techniques. Let's talk about COVID-19. Are there dermatologic manifestations of this disease that you've seen? Um, yes, we, we've seen some, um, and they basically relate to uh, either inflammatory or vascular changes. So it seems that this virus induces some changes in the blood vessels, um, the microscopic small blood vessels of the skin, and uh, the resulting um, uh, lesions are called purpuric lesions. That means the blood vessels are injured and there's some bleeding into the skin and you see it as these red marks on the skin. So that's one category of uh, skin rashes. The other category of skin rashes uh, seems to be like an immune reaction. So red rashes or hive-like rashes are things that you can also see um, uh, that occur on the skin in patients with COVID. I would say that um, most people do not get skin rashes if they have COVID. I mean, it's not the majority of patients. It may be something on the order of, um, you know, 10 to 20% or so. So uh, the skin can be a secondary finding, um, but it would be difficult to make a diagnosis of COVID-19 uh, just from the skin alone. Uh, and usually when we've been called uh, to make a determination whether there's a COVID finding or not, it's usually in patients who are quite sick and in the hospital. I have not, as an outpatient setting, seen these types of COVID rashes. Oh, that's good to know. Now, during the pandemic, many doctor's offices have been using telemedicine so I wonder how that's working in your dermatology practice. Yeah, so it's it's actually worked um, quite well. Uh, it has its positives and it has its negatives. And, you know, the bottom line is not just dermatologists, but almost all doctors had to sort of shotgun uh, um, apply uh, and use telemedicine under uh, somewhat of a crisis situation. So we didn't really have time to roll it out in a controlled way. We sort of just had to do it because uh, it was that or nothing at all. And I think from the dermatologist's point of view, uh, and we actually kind of did a study on this recently, there are a couple of take-home points. Uh, the first take-home point is that it seems that the no-show rate for teledermatology is much better than the no-show rate of actually coming into the clinic. In other words, people who make a teledermatology appointment, they're far away much more likely to be there at the time of the visit rather than not show up to the clinic. So that's a positive. The other thing that we found is that most dermatologists feel a hybrid model works best. In other words, using both a video component and digital pictures. And I can tell you from personal experience, you know, the digital component was very helpful in getting a story and a good history. 
and kind of uh, establishing a relationship as best as we could remotely. But the digital pictures provided much better quality resolution. So if we needed to look at something in detail, we really needed those pictures. And so we found that this hybrid model of both video and digital pictures work best. And we also find uh, that uh, teledermatology works very well for chronic kind of stable conditions and rashes. So things like acne or chronic atopic dermatitis or chronic psoriasis, those can be very nicely handled with teledermatology. It starts to break down if you're trying to uh, evaluate individual lesions uh, and ruling out skin cancers. Uh, until we get our protocols in place, uh, it's prob I would probably not recommend it to, uh, to, to do lesion evaluation as the sole evaluation. In other words, I mean, if you ask your dermatologist about a spot, they can give you an opinion, but I think personally it must be followed up by a real uh, person visit when uh, the pandemic allows it, because I think uh, you're likely to miss something at one point if you just do it with teledermatology. So that's kind of the summary of, of our study uh, that's going to be published soon, and it sort of uh, mirrors my personal experience as well. Let me ask you about cosmetic procedures. I've read about an increase in patients who are interested in fixing imperfections that they've noticed during the quarantine. Are you seeing that locally? Uh, yes, I am. I mean, it may seem a little bit counterintuitive, but if you if you sort of stop and think about it, um, there's a rational explanation for this. So there was a study done by the American Association of Plastic Surgeons, and 49% um, of the people surveyed who have never done any kind of cosmetic uh, procedure were all of a sudden quite open to uh, pursuing a cosmetic treatment. Um, and if you think about it, um, there's a rational explanation for that. So the first uh, explanation is, um, number one, we're all doing these Zoom meetings. And if you've ever uh, done one, uh, you notice that there's a, a, a silly little box that shows your own image. And, you know, for the first time in our social interactions or in our business meetings, we're actually seeing ourselves as perhaps other people would see us. And um, if there's something that people are a little bit insecure about or something that bothers them, uh, seeing how other people might see it through the Zoom meeting uh, is kind of a motivation to, to sort of uh, get it improved. Um, also, I think it's, uh, it's a form of therapy. You know, when you do these cosmetic procedures and you have a pleasing result, it helps you with your self-esteem, which uh, everyone's self-esteem in one form or another has suffered uh, during this COVID crisis. Um, and so, you know, for those reasons, I think they're more popular. And also, uh, if you do have a cosmetic uh, treatment at this point, uh, 
you know, you can cover up the healing process with a mask, or if you're on a conference call, you can choose to just have the phone option and not the video option. So I think for all of those reasons, they're all coming together um, and they're compelling people to pursue cosmetics. Um, and so, yeah, we've seen an uptick in the demand for cosmetic procedures. Uh, and again, it's not something that I would have predicted, but if you think about it in the context of what I just outlined, it, it is rational and it makes sense. It does make sense. Thank you to Dr. Ramsey Farah. He's the Division Chief of Dermatology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.